when Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. And we went two went up and I heard those thousands of Sligo people. I was proud and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Chilani. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson! One more. It's brilliant. 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 comes quickly. What a difference a week can make. The last time we spoke to you, we needed to beat the reigning league champions away from home. We required plucky Finn Harps to turn over Waterford. Up in Bally Buffet, it was a scrappy goal converted by Adam Foley. While in Oriel Park, the genius of North Mayo's Jesse Divers was all that was needed, pretty much, to secure our place in the promised land of fourth place in the 2020 League of Ireland Premier Division. In 2019, we managed to produce 10 wins from 36 games. This year, we carved out nine wins from the truncated 18-game league season. So, Magoo, this year must be progress. Oh, 100% progress. 100%. Did I see the smile on my face, Connor? Yeah, I can see it. Smile on my face. Beaming. That's what it's all about. I'd say, like, even before, since the lockdown, like, it's been unbelievable, the progress. Like, I know we were given out a few times on the pod, like, but when you look at it as a whole, even before the season started, I think the best we could have hoped for would have been four position. And then together from where we came after the lockdown in the shortened season, to do in that space of time, I think, is all credit has to go to the players and the management for what they've done since the lockdown. It's been unbelievable. But uh, even given the, the couple of bad away performances. But hold on, hold made. on, Magoo. Hold on. You, you, this time, two weeks ago, you, you wouldn't have thought we were going to finish in fourth, would you? No, at all, no. No. Sean, Sean, this time two weeks ago, uh, do you think we would have finished fourth? Hopeful, but realistically speaking, no. I would have said no. It wasn't going to happen. Okay. Well, listen. We'll we'll get into the uh, we'll get into the Dundalk game. Um, it's uh, Sean Dunn. It's Magoo. It's myself, Connor Lynch, with you. This is uh, episode nine of the Bit of Red Supporters Club Club Bit of Red Supporters Trust podcast, brought to you by Milligram Coffee. Uh, just to say that you can contact us by email uh, by uh, getting us at podcast at borst.ie. And I meant to do this a couple of weeks ago. Um, we got an email from uh, Ian McLaughlin. Do you know Ian McLaughlin, lads? I know him, yeah. Ian yeah. McLaughlin is in China. He's an avid listener of the podcast. Um, so huge thanks to everyone who's listening in all parts of the world. A uh, big hello to you, Ian. Uh, thanks for the downloads. Uh, if you're if you are in, listening to us in far off places, uh, Bonanadin, um, wherever it might be, <laughs> uh, contact us. Let us know where you're listening to us from or where you're listening yeah, to us from, and um, we'd lo- we'd love to know. Um, so yeah, this is episode nine of the podcast. We've got um, we've got a real bumper show. Obviously, we're going to go into uh, the win in Dundalk, the incredible win in Dundalk. Uh, we speak to Niall Morhan, and at the end of the show, before we finish up, we have a really good. Really good uh, interview with Kyle Callum McFadden, and um, you really have to hang around for it because um, uh, there's some. I mean, it's fair to say it's a bit of an exclusive for us, we think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, Sligo Rovers, uh, well, Dundalk nil, Sligo Rovers two, Sean. Um, it was the it was the performance that we've been looking for for every game um, since we've hit that kind of trough where we hit the stodgy spot. This is the performance that we want to see, and we saw it finally again. It came back. This is the one the three of us have been crying out for on this pod as, as Magoo has been banging his head off tables after Shells games and Waterford games and no more than the rest of us. This, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we were alluding to all the time. This, this fight, this desire, this was there from the first second against Dundalk. It was, it was fantastic. So, you know, and I think everything, everything went right, right for us on the night. Tactically, Buckley had us beautifully set up we were set up to a T we absolutely nullified anything Dundalk were going to do they, they caused us no threat whatsoever um, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a particularly sophisticated setup it was quite simple wasn't it 
he, he made it very, very easy. It was just a 4-4-1-1 with the freeze dropping deep. But what it allowed us to do was, it just, it allowed us to, we nearly went man for man with them in midfield. So, uh, and we nullified any uh, attack they had with Kolovic and that, and Flores. We stayed tight in them. Morahan and Cawley from, from the first second were in on top of them. Anytime the ball, boys got the ball, they were in on top of them. They were hassling them. And you could see it in the dogs' play. They were panicking nearly on the ball every time. They, they gave away possession so many times. I think there's a stat David Goulden put up there. And uh, it's, it just shows the turnover in play from, from the dog was terrible. Like they, they gave the ball away so many times. Uh, Magoo, you said last week that you wanted to see um, a compacted um, kind of low block and uh, try and hit them on the break. I think for the most part, that's what they did. Now, Sean, I'll disagree in a second, but for the most part, I think that's what they did. Well, we did. Well, we scored early, so that obviously lended itself to that to be an easier tactic. But I think from the start, though, Sean is right. We went after them from the first whistle. We went straight after them, straight under the block, straight after them. Um, I thought the whole way down through the centre of the pitch, we were immense. Like Sean already said, the two boys in the centre of the park, but I thought the two boys in the centre half, Buckley and Mahan, were massive. Aiden de Gaulle's was something else as well. Unreal saves, like. I thought Coughlin up front on his own was brilliant to let the line all night, especially second half, chasing balls into corners and dragging fellas. I were holding up balls, he was brilliant. I thought everyone all over the pitch was brilliant. But um yeah, it was easier to it's easier to play the, the low block, I suppose, when you score after ten minutes and and you can you can sit a bit deeper and try and catch fellas on the break then. And sure, and, you- and in fairness, Dundalk were open for all night straight through that midfield. Like without shields there, they were they were for all the uh I was saying, like, it's, it's mad being a Rovers fan because uh, you try and talk yourself out of everything. When they were naming the team and all the players Dundalk were missing, I was trying to tell myself, talk myself into, this might work out better for them because Shields isn't playing, so they might move the ball. I'm always trying, you're always trying to talk yourself into scenarios where you're not, let, it's, you're not going to be a letdown. But like, <laughs> without having him there, without having him there, there, there was no protection in the midfield at all like, for them. Yeah. No protection. There was no, funny enough as well, when you talk about Shales, Miguel, there was no control. No. The no. Flores and that just seemed to, they were disinterested from the start. They just couldn't get, the, the second the boys got on them, they didn't want to know about it for the rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't they like like, if a Chris Shields was involved in that game, he'd be willing to go into the battle with the boys. That wouldn't bother him at all. He'd still settle down and he'd play those simple five-yard passes and get them playing football again. But the boys didn't want to know about that. The likes of Flores, yeah. Kolovic, Murray, they just weren't interested. There was that incident in the, I, I don't know where it was in the first half, um, where two Dundalk midfielders, one, it was a Kolovic who was progressing up the field and um, maybe it was the other way around, another one came along and literally tackled, one tackled the other, took the ball off and completely disrupted the flow of play. The ball broke to, it might have been uh, De Vries and we were up the pitch again. But that, that's just a microcosm of where Dundalk are. Yeah, they're gone. I think they're, they're a broken team, I think. Um, and that, look, it could be proved wrong. It could be just that they've a lot of games in their legs, uh, and they're they're running out of they're running out of gas at the minute or something. But they just they don't look don't look right. They just don't look. There's no that the fight isn't in them. Like they they needed something out of that game, and they never they didn't look like they had the fight as as like Sean said when we put it up them right from the start. They didn't stand up to it. Like they didn't. Now I suppose missing the likes of Shields and that. Well, I think. Missing Duffy then was a huge miss for them as well. I was delighted. He was the one that I really was delighted wasn't playing was Duffy because your man is your man who the, wouldn't replace him. What's his name? Odua, is it or something? Odua, yeah. He wouldn't, lace, he wouldn't lace his boots. Like there was no, there was no try from him all night. Even even Banks. times he did beat, even, but even the odd time he did get round Banks, he yeah. was running out over the end line or he was, his crosses were going out over the far side of the pitch. He was just. Yeah. Speaking of Banks, the fullbacks, particularly Banks, he was on it again, wasn't he? After what's been there, that's the, best, that's the best Banks has played since the, the restart of the league. That's mm. that's the Lewis Banks of last season. Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic and on the ball as well. That's that's where I thought Lewis Banks was actually been really poor this season. He's on the ball, but the other night now against the he was really, really good. He was getting in a few decent crosses. But he, just using the ball wisely, just giving a simple pass when it needed, not trying to force things, just retaining possession all the time. But no, I thought he was fantastic. His positioning was brilliant. Because that, uh, Udawa, I'm not sure of the pronunciation of the lad's name, but 
like he's a pacey lad. So you, you, you do need to be on your game and pos- positionally you need to be clued in as well, not to get caught flat-footed or anything with him. And, you know, Banks was on it. He really was on it and he had a fantastic game. One of the okay, okay let's, let's get stuck into um, the incredible goal. Jesse Devers doing his thing. So um, DeVries breaks uh, out of the middle of the pitch. He does that incredible little uh, 360 turn to uh, send two of the Dundalk players to the shops. Uh, plays a simple ball out to the right to the uh, the on-running Jesse. And, um, well, what happens next? It's beautiful. Spotted, spotted, spotted Rogers off his lane. Yeah. Simple enough. That's it. Put it in over, put, put it in over his head. Yeah. What more do you want? Yeah. It was, it was magic. It was incredible. I, I couldn't believe it. I put, like, I... I couldn't bloody believe it. I went up and put the young fellow to bed and I came back down and the phone, the Twitter was burning and uh, I don't think there was no commentary, just a room of silence and we're winding up. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> what? what? So, so what, what was, um, I mean, listen, we don't want to, it's, it's unfair for us to be too critical of Gary Rogers, but I mean, what was he doing? He was lost at sea for that goal. I can't understand it at all. I've, I've watched it back now. It's, I'd say more, no more than any Rovers fan about a hundred times, and every time you watch it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't become clearer as to what exactly happened, because he's not—he's not a million miles off his line. That's the thing; he's just at the six-yard line. Yeah, like he could easily get to that ball. There's no pace on it. Yeah, it just drifts in, and he doesn't even put up his hands. He just kind of yeah, he, he, lets he, it blow over him. It's he, a strange, strange goal. He, 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 well, I initially I thought that he had his eye on Cockton because Cockton was coming in um, on his kind of right hand side, but I think his body language says he thinks that ball's going over the bar, doesn't it? Yeah, he 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 just obviously lost his bearings of where he was and where I don't know. I can't really explain it. Sure, how it's impossible. I wouldn't even say he knows how to explain it. He just obviously lost his bearings of where he was, or yeah, I don't know. But it was great, fair play to him. Look, once a red, always a red. You know what I mean? Fair play to Gary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I tell you one thing though, and because of the, the nature of the finish of it, it'll actually take away from the build up play before it. But that actual goal, even before the freeze, is brilliant because there's actually a brilliant interception from Lewis Banks. There's a ball being played out to the out wide to the left, and he actually gets his foot to it just there in the 18 yard line. And he retains possession and uses Cauley. And then as Cauley plays a lovely smart pass into the freeze, and then what the freeze does is just unbelievable. He takes two players out of the game with his turn. Yeah. And he lays a lovely ball out to Devers. And then obviously the rest is history. But it's actually, from start to finish, that's actually a brilliant goal. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and it's actually a huge credit to the way we play football. You know, it's, it says a lot about the way we are. You know, if, if we look ahead to next season a little bit, <clears throat> um, Banks, Donlan, um but definitely Mahan and Buckley. I mean, that's that's pretty much a back four for the most part that you'd probably want to see um, sticking around for a while. Definitely. that's Buckley has just been an absolute breath of fresh air in a centre half. And along with Mahan, then they complement each other perfectly. It's a, it's a match made in heaven back there. Like Buckley is just that calm, calculated centre half. He's just... He gets on the ball, he plays it simple, but I'm actually so impressed with his uh, tackling. Defensively, he's actually really, really good. You know, he makes these clean tackles, but at the same time, he's he's coming out with the ball at his feet. And he's able to lay it off. It's, it, honestly, it's... Was it Graham Taylor said years ago? Sorry? Graham Taylor said years ago that good defenders don't need to tackle. Yeah. And that's Like half the time he doesn't, he's stepping out in front of the four, he's reading the game. Yeah, well, he, before them. He was he was on um, the League of Ireland podcast uh, with uh, Daniel Daniel McDonald and then um, Johnny Ward this week, I think. And he uh, he said he's a centre half. That's that's the position he he grew up playing in. And it was uh, John Caulfield who pushed him up the pitch, edged him up the pitch more and more. So and John. So I think he's um, like John Mahan and Gary Buckley centre half pairing. Just I mean, it's such a base, and then you've keep the keeper behind him. Ginty behind, you know, such a foundation to have for the team next season if we can maintain it. Yeah, we have to have a word about the keeper too, though. We have to, the, the, leaps, and, the leaps and bounds he's come on has been unreal. And another great performance again in Oriel Park. Ah, oh, stop. Yeah. Yeah, such saves he was making. But you know was, what? Uh, like, generally outstanding saves. There were two outstanding saves in that now. It wasn't just 
the, the reflexes on them. And then the first one in the first towards the end of the first half, the one he takes out of the top corner, and then he's up in a flash to, to get onto the smother the ball again yeah. before anyone can get onto the rebound. It's, that really stood out for me. He's like a cat. That's the same yeah. as, I'd be of the same thinking as that, lads. Uh, the save was absolutely phenomenal. But I felt the most impressive part of that was his agility to get back down and smother that yeah. ball in a crowded box. He, he, he also, there's, a, there's an air of confidence about him. Like some people, some people have said to me that he, he um, there's an unsureness about, about him, maybe, you know, outside of football, people in and around the club, but just that he's a young fellow. Like, but I just get this complete kind of sense of confidence from him now. And he just looks the part. He looks like he's, um, Sean, you said earlier on, he's probably one of the best keepers in the league, if not the best keeper in the league. At the, at the I moment. stand by that. I'll challenge anyone on that. I Show me anyone that's better. I Gary Rogers, Alan Manis were better, but they're aging goalkeepers. Ed McGinty is the best goalkeeper in the league at this moment in time. I don't think anyone can argue with me on that. I don't think they, they have any... Anywhere to stand in an argument like that. You watch him. Watch him for ball. Even there in Dundalk the other night, ball's coming into the box. He's claiming everything. You don't mm. even have to think about it. You just know he's coming. Yeah. And he yeah. is claiming everything. And he's grown up, he's grown up between the six now the last the last year. He's yeah. he's gone from a boy into a man. Oh, yeah. that's, that's front, how you describe in front him. in front in front of our eyes. And also, you can see him now. As you, as you said, coming for balls now, Sean, and everything. Whereas before he was a bit iffy and he'd come and he'd come for the wrong ones where he shouldn't. Now he knows. He knows his business and he knows what he's about and he knows he can do it and he knows he's so assured in his own ability now and in, and in himself probably as a person and a man and he knows he's the number one and it's it's just he's this air of confidence and belief in himself now. Yeah, the, other, the unfortunate thing is um, the, unfortunate, well, the unfortunate thing is he hasn't signed a fucking contract yet but the, unfor- the other unfortunate thing is that you know, I, and I haven't seen him play, but our, our number two keeper isn't getting a look in, um, which he, he's also highly rated. And you know, you'd like to have a league cup to to get um, to get the number two in to give him a couple of games, give him some minutes. Mm. Yeah, you, you hear Liam Buckley speak a, an awful lot about McNicholas, and just he he always um, alludes to how good he is as well. You know, he, he never leaves him out when he even speaks about it. I think so. It does show that there's a there's an expectation on him as well, you know, and that he is highly thought of within the club as well. I can't say, I can't, I think he played two games last season, did he? I think yeah. he made two appearances or something. Yeah. I think it was very limited anyway, but apparently, yeah, he's very good. So, um, what about the goal that sealed things in the second half? Um, Cochrane back on form. Listen, Cochrane had a great game again. He showed the type of player that we all love to see, Harry and chasing, being the right pain in the arse, you know, chasing things that he shouldn't be chasing, Winning free kicks, uh, breaking up play, uh, but whew, what a finish! Top class. But I think when you say there as well, Connor, about his uh, commitment throughout the game, you know he he was committed to the cause all night, and I'd say Graham Cartland could not wait to get the full time whistle. He gave him an awful time all night, so he was he must have been a nightmare to mark. Yeah, when when Cochrane is on it, he sets he sets the the kind of pace for the whole team. He sets the bar. This is what we're doing. This is what we're at. We're going after them. And like, you know, we lost that over the last number of weeks for whatever reason, but it came back at the right time. And I, I thought for the goal, I thought he was kind of stretching for it. I thought, geez, this could go anywhere, but he caught it perfectly. Yeah, it's a great strike. But it's like, as we've, been, as we've been saying here, it was no more than the crosses that we're always complaining about into the box and taking shots. Like we never seem to take on long range shots. It's always... The other night, Jesse puts in the cross to go straight into the, into the net, and Cotton takes on a shot in twenty yards, top corner. Like it's. But if you don't try things, all, if you don't try yeah. things, things don't happen. And here we are, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It all it all came it all came good in the night. So it good in the night. And this so is what, what it's all about. What about? I don't know if any of you caught um, uh, Curtis Byrne um, trying to force the ball into the net in Ballywell Field. Did any of you see that? No. Could have been, yeah. It could have been all so different, uh, only for uh, maybe the bad weather up in Bally Buffet and um, the post, you know, because they, they came so close to, to equalising against the Hearts. That was, in the, that was in the last couple of seconds as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, Do you really, know what? How, how, he, how he didn't put that ball into the net. Listen, I mean, thanks be to God he didn't, but I don't know how he didn't get into the net. I told you last week that the, the hands of fate were trying to give us the fourth place. <laughs> and and we, in fairness, we deserve it. 
Okay, we deserve way more for for what we've done since we came back, and for every supporter who put any money into that the GoFundMe page, uh, every everybody in the club and all the supporters deserve this four place. And hopefully, like it's not a it's not a done deal yet, but hopefully, European football with it. Like they're they're a fuck they're they're a fucking fake club down there, Waterford with fucking power in Leave throwing out. money at them and then not throwing money at them and getting these fucking simpletons of managers like How, Sheridan in who takes well, a what about, what about John Sheridan? He's gone from uh, Wigan. Yeah, he's supposed to be going to Swindon now or something, isn't it? Isn't that Lee Power's place as well? Isn't Lee Power was Swindon? There you go. Yeah, like, so that's what I mean. Like. Yeah, but he got knocked out of the cup by a pub thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he literally did. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he says. For the, good of, for the good of football in this country, we deserve the fourth place. Yeah, a proper a proper club with proper fans and yeah. proper community around it. Yeah, I'd say that that's shite down there. Well, but you know what, though, McGowan, you're right in what you're saying, and I don't think there's many clubs around the country that would argue with it either. And I'd, I'd say if even there's clubs that dislike us, obviously, but if you ask them in their heart of hearts, what would you like to see as a successful Sligo Rovers coming down to your to your ground every second week? They'd want that. They'd want Sligo Rovers. Our travelling Sligo Rovers support, you guaranteed a big gate from us. You know what I mean? We travel in numbers. You know, like, when, Rovers, no, no. when Rovers are successful, there's nothing like us in the league. No. And not, like everybody, no no clubs, everybody, all the rival clubs hate each other. Like, or they don't, you know what I mean? Not, maybe they don't hate everybody, but you never want to, you don't want to see them do well in place of your own club. Like, and I hate everybody has, but, like, I hate them all too. Like, even, <laughs> like, even Shams, like, I never, I never want to see Shams go to business. Because you'd never get to fucking play them and hate them. Do you know what I mean? But then uh, the likes of Waterford, the likes of Waterford are nothing club to me. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. I agree completely with you, McGowan. There's a number of clubs. They do come and go. It doesn't kind of cost. I don't, I don't bat an eyelid about them. No. And obviously, you know, you're, you know, us Harps, um, you know, Athlone, Longford to a certain degree. Clubs that have always been around that have a, yeah. a hardcore. Uh, well, you know, maybe not that long, but those clubs that do have a kind of a hardcore fan base that are that are there. Obviously, you don't want to see them go, but um, but yeah, I think credit needs to go to obviously the fans for the money that we raised, um, particularly to some of the people in the trust who put together the GoFundMe page. Well, idea. I'd like to, actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna single out never never really single out the trust. I was in, but I think for something that was that big, like Jerry was the was the driving force behind it. it was his brainwave and his he was putting the big push on at the very start. Like everybody kind of chipped in afterwards, but it was Jerry who got it off the ground. And I think uh, for something as big as that and momentous as that, I think he deserves a, a bit of a pat in the back for it. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's Jerry O'Connor. Um, no, absolutely. I echo that and I completely agree with you. Um, you know, that was the foundation to put us where we are today uh, into the fourth spot. Um, I think credit needs to go to the players for ultimately getting us there. The management, Buckley and um, and Rustler and and all those lads behind the scenes, Theo, and then the committee as well, who you know, yeah, who who had the wherewithal to get a couple of players in and to spend the money wisely and hopefully get us into Europe. So I think you know yeah. everybody needs a bit of a slap in the back of the you know. Everybody does, but this is what I, this this is why this is what our club is about. It's a, it's a it's a it really is a team effort and the team being the whole community. It's everybody pushes it. Everybody is their shoulder to the wheel. You know yeah. That's why it makes it. If you get Europe, it makes days like this all sweet, all the sweet, all the better. Yeah. It makes it yeah. more sweeter. You don't you don't get this feeling watching watching the telly, yeah. watching some club over in England. That you, it's just not the same. You don't That's get that you, same. I, you, I woke up the next morning still smiling like. Yeah, yeah. I sent out a tweet. We haven't, even, we haven't even we haven't even got Europe yet. <laughs> it was just the pride after a performance like that, the pride that everybody felt in the team and the management and the fact and you know just it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's somebody how, somebody said in the WhatsApp group that we're in I think we're all in it and like you like the, your natural your natural urge is right into town quick you know let's let's yeah. let's start let's get a couple of pints in like you know but yeah you, you just, just going back there, we just, you know, in regards to the committee and that, I think a huge amount of credit has to be given to them as well for the appointment of Liam Buckley. I yeah. think getting Buckley in was actually, uh, was, a, was a masterclass. It was a masterstroke. Yeah. It was, 
because we've constantly banged on about getting these English managers in and, you know, we're only successful when there's someone from across the water takes charge and we want to play a certain style of football. We actually got a manager in who was able to work on a tight budget and bring us a style of football that we were all proud of and that we all enjoyed watching. And he's actually brought us back to where we wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I think that a huge amount of credit has to go to the committee for hiring him in the first place. But then I think we have to give Liam Buckley even more credit than again because what he's done for this club now is massive. And I yeah, mean, he's bought, it, he, he's bought into the whole club though. He's bought into it. He's, he's such an unassuming and and uh, man. And he's he's he really like he's, his character is so nice and easy going. He's just he's bought into the whole club and he's taken everything on board. Of he hasn't come in and thrown his way around of this is the way it should be and that's the way it should be. He's you know he sees how the club is run and how the the base of the club and it being supporter orientated and all that and he he buys into all that and he actually he likes it he, he loves it he can't believe he can't believe the support that the whole town and community gives the place and the the team and so so at the time Lee, uh, it was it was a it was a great match whoever whoever. Whoever came up with his or threw his name into the, the hat when they were looking for a new manager, they, yeah. they found a great match. I suppose uh, now is a good time as well to mention the um, the annual draw tickets are still being sold, and uh, I'd say uh, last week they were up at around eight thousand. We've got to be we're up at we're up at ten. I was going to say got to be close to ten. Um, there's loads of people to buy in tickets. Um, if you don't know anybody buying tickets, you can buy them from uh, srfcdirect.com. Book of a hundred there for hundred quid. A book of ten for hundred quid. I can buy an individual ticket for ten euro, um, yeah, and like I don't know what what's the record, Miguel? 60,000 is kind of the record in the past. Well, it? Just 68, 67, 68, I think. Yeah. So again, because um, setters can't go door to door, and obviously with no match day income, uh, it's more important than ever to um, to sell um, or to buy more tickets um, than you might otherwise do. Uh, I have a book of tickets that I'm still trying to get my way through. If anybody is listening and wants to buy a ticket off me, uh, you can get it off me. Well, I have I have two books. If anybody wants to buy two books, yeah, um, I'm I'm sold out. And yeah, and Dutter is Dutter is on top of it. <laughs> okay, so um, will we go into uh, will we go into our conversation with Niall Morhan? Yeah, why not? Congratulations on well, two things I suppose. Congratulations on um, the new contract that was announced uh, like two or three weeks ago at this stage, and also on um, the performance that we saw in Oriel Park. That has secured fourth place. Um, wh- what did um, what did the manager say to the team before before you went out against Dundalk? Um, I suppose there was a big build up to the game. Like there was quite a while between our game against Cork and then Dundalk. So um, there was kind of everyone knew what was on the line. Um, so he didn't really have to say much. Um, but he just told us to go out, like he has been since. The restart, I suppose, go out and take a personal, um, and we all kind of thought of it as as our cup final, you know. So um, I think we went out and we kind of showed that in our performance. We took a personal, and we knew what was on the line. It was um, it was a great performance, and it was what we had seen earlier in the season when we came back from lockdown. Um, obviously, we had the, the the portion of the league campaign. You know, those couple of games we spoke about it at length in the podcast, um, away to Waterford and performances like that. So what's the difference? What's the difference when you go into a game like Dundalk as opposed to games where you, we expect big performances uh, to pick up points, whether it's against Shelburne or Waterford? What, you know, what's, what can you put that down to? Um, that's a tough one, you know. Um... I suppose it's probably been a problem of ours the last while, a bit of consistency and um, putting in performances like that one against Dundalk, putting that in week in, week out. And I suppose if we did pick up like results against Waterford and Shelburne, we could have cemented that fourth spot a lot earlier, you know. So um, I think that is something that we'll have to work on in the future for sure, a bit of consistency and not, um, not being complacent uh, no matter who we're playing, you know. Now, um, sorry, go ahead, John. Sorry, Connor. Yeah, just we're going into that game in Dundalk. Um, does it make a difference to being nearly considered the underdogs heading into them type of games? Because you look at the game in the showgrounds as well, and we went out and we we, we battered them three one. You were fantastic as well that day. Is it taking is it taking a wee bit of pressure off your shoulders going in as the underdog, where people 
aren't expecting that much against the superior side like Dundalk. Technically, they're meant to be superior, but I, I think we've actually been a better side than them this season. Yeah, um, I suppose we have. We've done the double over them this season, I'd say, for the first time in a long time. Um, but yeah, I suppose being the underdog, there's no pressure on you. I suppose there's more pressure on them. Um, and I suppose when you're seeing them having all the success, like playing in the Europa League and all that kind of stuff, you'd, you'd love to go out and do one over them, you know? So, um, yeah, you kind of go out, you've, you've nothing to lose and just you give it your all. Did you, um, did you, um, so we know that um, things in the dock have been up and down recently, like when well, they're going through a pretty kind of tumultuous patch. Do you know when you go out in the field, can you, can you sense that? Well, I think you could see it in the game, like those of us who watched the stream, um, at one stage in the first half um, in that game, the two, I can't remember who the players were, but two Dundalk players, pretty much one tackled the other, took the ball straight off the toe of the other player, and it might have fallen straight to De Vries. But can you sense um, that kind of, the, the way that team is kind of coming apart a little bit when you're playing them? Like, it's a team of great players, there's no doubt about it. Um, but there's serious problems in the team. Can you sense that on the pitch? Can you get a feeling for that? Um, that's a tough one, to be honest. Um, you know, they, they are a great squad, as everyone can tell. And, you know, they've had a tough run of, of fixtures or a congestion of fixtures anyways. And I know they were missing a few of the main boys, Shields, Duffy, McElhenney and all that. And I suppose when you're out on the pitch and you can kind of sense that one or two of them are getting on top of each other. You kind of have to capitalize on that and kind of push yourselves on and get a bit of momentum and kind of push them further back. And if they're arguing with each other, all the better for us, I suppose. And um, on the, the kind of flip side of that is, did you know quite quickly as well that that Rovers were on it the other night? That that you know the passes through midfield were going to feast. That the fullbacks were getting forward and, you know, they were putting string and passing together. Did you know quite quickly as well that, that we were going to put, a, put in a performance? Uh, I think so, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I didn't feel like once the game started, we were ever going to lose the game. I think we were at it right from the start. But I think that started in the lead-up to the game in training. We were at it all week. It was sharp. It was good sessions. Started in the warm-up, good preparation. And then once the first whistle went we were out the traps I suppose and because once we got that goal early with Jesse um, yeah, it just didn't seem like we were ever going to lose the game So um, moving away from the, the game you've obviously signed a new contract is it for one year two years? Uh, one year yeah So is it tied in with your studies as well? Um, they're kind of done side by side yeah obviously um, I suppose when I had initially signed I think um, there was talk of like a three or four year contract till I was done college, but I suppose uh, it wasn't really the best thing for myself at the time. So just kind of taking it year by year now and uh, seeing how it goes. So you're studying in IT Sligo. What are you studying? I'm studying business. Okay. And you're going into third year now, is it? Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of my second year. I just started. So uh, okay. I'd say it's a four year program. So halfway there nearly. Okay. So um, the style of football that, um, that Liam Buckley plays, obviously that's another aspect. That's something that I would imagine um, suits your style of playing, the, the type of football that you want to, uh, the type of football and team that you want to be part of. Um, is that something that's, that's um, is that something that you know, speaks to you when you're about to sign the contract? Um, it would do, yeah, obviously. Um... Obviously, I'm really happy here at the moment. Um, the amount of game time, like get on well with the gaffer, the lads, and I suppose, I suppose everyone would know throughout the league, Liam Buckley's teams for their style of football, you know. And I think it's probably taken a while for that kind of style to like seep down through the team um, and get it into our performances. But um, yeah, I think it definitely suits my kind of game. Just getting on the ball, keeping it short and simple and working it up through the thirds. So, um, yeah, definitely be, be in the front of your mind, I suppose, yeah. Now, you got, you played a lot of uh, games for us at right back. Was that something that maybe you didn't enjoy too much or would it be a case where you were nearly feeling like that you weren't going to get your chance in the centre of midfield? 
maybe just it would pass you by and you end up just being a squad player or some sort and not getting to display your abilities in your natural position? Um, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, well, maybe if it went on any longer than it did, maybe if it carried into this year, that um, it could have gone that way. But no, I think as a young lad, like you're as happy to be getting any minutes you can. Um, and I suppose, yeah, like you said, I was predominantly playing right back, I guess. A few minutes maybe come on, last five, ten minutes in the middle of the park. Um, and yeah, I wasn't really getting to showcase me stuff in the middle, but I suppose you just kind of have to wait your chance. It's, um, it is a waiting game. And when you do get your chance, you just kind of have to, to do the best you can and prove where you, where you should be in there and not in some other position, you know? Absolutely. Tell us about, uh, tell us about your experience coming up through the, the club's academy. Um, um, is that something that's, was that a positive experience for you? So you came from, you came from Carrick Town into the academy, is that right? Uh, no, so I played in Carrick with Carrick Town up until under 14s it was. And then I joined Strand Hill, Strand Celtic. Um, it was after the Kennedy Cups, the under 15s. Um, Donna Oates and Packy Lynch were my Sligo Leitrim team manager and Donna was also the manager of the team Mountain Strand Hill. So that was um, that was a big pull for me to go to Strand Hill then. And then it was the... So oh, he, was he, stole, he, stole you from, he stole you from Carrick, let's be honest. I mean, I, uh, well, I the team we'll say the team fell apart, but um, <laughs> it was an easy, easy decision to go down. But um, yeah, so I joined in 2015, I think it was, and it was Niall Harrison, Daniel O'Leary, and Colm Jinx were in charge of us for two and a half years up through under 17s, and then we had Brian Dorian, Dinky, um, and Raf under 19s, and then Johnny Dunleavy came in last year. So. Um, yeah, it was a really good experience. Yeah, I've obviously learned a lot and worked under some great coaches. So um, they obviously owe a lot to all of them. And um, yeah, it was obviously a great experience to come up through the ranks and then progress into the first team. And um, in your underage career with the academy, were you always playing in the middle of the park or were you getting pushed around a bit? Um, I actually was, yeah. Pretty much as the uh, same start to my professional career as my underage career, I'd... Uh, I just stint at right back, left back, centre mid, centre back even. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of stood to me then as I progressed on that I had a bit of versatility, you know. And were you, we've had John Mahan on the, the podcast. Um, were you playing with John? Was Ed McGinty alongside you at times or were you in different age groups? Uh, so the two of them would be the year older than me. So in their last year of under-17s, um, I would have been in my first year of under 17, so I would have played with, with John, Jack Keeney, Liam Kerrigan and all them, you know. And then under 19s, um, I suppose Ed and John would have been featuring with the first team quite a bit. So if they didn't play one weekend, they'd be down with the 19s. So, uh, yeah, I would have got, got a good few games with them. So been playing with them for quite a while now. Now you're coming through the, the youth system as well with... John and Aid, you know, there's a it seems to be not a lot of pressure, but there's a lot of expectation from the fans seeing your the three year basically class. I know John is the only technical Sligo man there, but the, the three year class as a Sligo natives and such. But, um, do you find any of that pressure getting to you or anything like that, or is it just something you get along with? Um, I suppose, yeah, when you're starting off, there probably is, is a lot of pressure. Um, for a young lad in general, but to be considered a local and to be um, playing at that level, there probably is a lot of um, a lot of expectancy on you to prove that you should be there, you know. So um, at the time, I suppose you probably don't try and think about it because you'll either, I suppose, crumble or it'll, it'll make you a lot better, you know. So um, I suppose when it's going well and you're a local lad, it, it's great, you know, but <laughs> when it's not going uh, the best, it could be the other way, you know. So, um, ah, yeah, it's it's great being a local lad. The sports, the the local lads feel, and even the lads that are local, it's it's unreal, you know. As as a technical player, uh, Nile, who who else do you look at in the squad who kind of has that kind of technical ex- excellence? Who do you look at across the squad, like in training, and you see they've got real kind of real ability that that could could see them playing you know, on much higher levels. Um, 
I suppose technically from from the day I, I started and even before that, watching from the stands, you'll have to say David Cawley, um, especially being a midfielder, just watching him in training and playing alongside him in matches, you learn a, a great deal, you know. Um, and apart from that, I'd say Ryan DeFries, he's, he's a few tricks up his sleeve, you know. Um, obviously, Junior, very tricky player. And um, Yeah, I suppose when I came in originally, you had obviously Dave, you had Raf, um, Lee Lynch, all top, I suppose, midfielders, you know. So um, I definitely have been lucky with, uh, in terms of senior players to look up to, you know. Now, um, a lot of the lads that I've spoken to involved in the squad there speak very highly of Daryl Fordyce that was with us last year in terms of his influence in that within the dressing room. What kind of a player was he to play alongside? You could see he had abilities beyond belief, really. It was just, I suppose, we got him at the latter end of his career. Yeah, I suppose, pity we got him at the, the latter end of his career, but you could still even tell that he was a, he was a great player. Um, just the knowledge he had of the game um, and the stuff he passed on down through the squad was, was, uh, it was great to have him there, you know. Um, I suppose he nearly played everywhere. You know, I think he played up top against Shams for us at home and he played on the wings and in the middle as well. So, um, yeah, he was a great player to have around and he's a great character as well. We'll never forget the goal he scored in the showgrounds against Shams. Yeah, unreal, wasn't it? Ooh. Ooh. Was he playing up top? I thought he, I thought he might have been wide midfield that day. He did. He picked it up all up. Uh, yeah, I think it was that day. I think it was the last day of the season. Um, was it or... It was definitely towards the end of the season. We were down to the bare bones, I think. So he was stuck up top. Yeah. So come here. How do you how do you find it playing? I know we kind of asked this question to everybody, but um, how do you find it uh, playing without crowds there, particularly at home in the showgrounds or for the bigger games if you're away in Tala or wherever it might be? Um, is it something that you notice or you not notice it? Um. Yeah, I think definitely at home in Sligo you do notice. Um. The crowd is always a big help, as you know, in Sligo. Um, so it would have been nice definitely towards the end of the season and having the big push for Europe that it would have been nice to have fans there. But I suppose when you're away from home, I suppose it's probably that bit easier. You don't have a big crowd of fans all against you, you know. So um, I think in Dundalk on Friday, there was a lot of young fellas behind the walls with flares and everything. So um it was pretty much the same, I suppose. But yeah, definitely, it's it's not the same, and I think it does have an impact on games. Like if you if you go one behind or something, that it's not easier to pull back level, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, it's it's um, hopefully, as I said on Twitter, hopefully this bloody um, COVID nineteen vaccine works. I'll happily be a guinea pig um, if we qualify for Europe because. Uh, <laughs> We uh, we need to we definitely need a, a trip away with Rovers. Um, the the other thing I was going to ask you about is um, uh, is combining your studies with playing football. How how much are what's your kind of ratio of football to study in there? Um, it's tough enough to be honest. Um, last year was quite difficult. Um, obviously having to go into college and go to and from training and gym and everything. But this year it's, it's a lot easier being all online. Um, so I'd, I'd start, I'd usually get a lecture or two in the morning before training, go out and train and then spend the majority of the rest of the day doing more work and catching up. So um, it's tough going, but uh, hopefully it'll pay off in the long run. Like, and I suppose the football gives me a break from study and, the study gives me a break from football as well, you know. Well, hopefully, hopefully you never have to rely on that degree. And in about two or three years' time, you get sold to English Premier League club for between 80 and 100 million. And, you know, <laughs> you'll be grand. That's we'll the be, plan. That's the we'll plan. all be grand. <laughs> now, with the ambition to be, obviously, to play in England, but would a player of your styling... Would you like to try your hand in the likes of a Spanish league, Italian league, something like that, out far and all together? Um, you know, the, across the water is obviously the big attraction um, for every young fella looking to make it. Um, I suppose if the opportunity ever came up and things were right, um, and if it did suit my game, I suppose you never really know what had happened. Um, 
is I'm just looking to play at the, the highest level possible and that I'm capable of. So I suppose you never really know. Um, so so what happens now? So we play um, we played Derry in the quarterfinal on the 20th, which is, what's that, nine days away, uh, Friday week. Um, are, do you have something of a mini break now? Or is it... Uh, are you know? Are, is, is the squad training as it as it, as it always would? Yeah, normal practice. Um, I suppose it might be easy to take the foot off the pedal and think our season is done after the the result against um, Dundalk at the weekend. But um, yeah, we're by by no means finished. We still um, we still have a job to do. Um, obviously, at the start of the season, we would have been looking. To finish where we have finished and give the cup a good run, so we've one of those goals achieved, and we're going head first into the other one now. So um, we'll we're looking to give Derry a good go and see where it takes us. You're not the fear against Derry at this stage, I guess. Um, no, but you always have to show teams their due respect. We have uh, we have done the double over them this year as well, I suppose. So. Um, They'll be looking to get a, a one back on us as well, so we'll have to be um, we'll have to be at it um, like we were against Dundalk, and hopefully it'll pay off. You know. Okay, we played a shortened season this year. Obviously, um, I think we had ten wins in the thirty-four game season last year, and we had nine wins this season in the shortened season. Do you think that the team has progressed? I do. Yeah. Um, I think, as the saying goes, league tables don't lie. Um, I suppose the aim would be to be progressing year on year and we look to take that into the next year as well. But um, I definitely do think we have progressed as a team. Um, we have, I think we have a better style about us. Um, I think the players that have come in at the start of this year and at the break have brought us on a lot as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely do think we, we have improved. And finally, do you think that we will... Um, see a lot of the same faces in the showgrounds again next season or could we expect a bit of change? Yeah, I think um, it's very hard to keep a team together in this league but um, I think with the way we finished and hopefully if it results in being a European spot that um, you'd hope a large majority of the lads would stay but um, yeah, I suppose same as always there is always a few comings and goings but um, I think it's a good group here at the moment and we'll be looking to go from strength to strength. So um, hopefully a lot of the boys do stay. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but congratulations yeah. on win, winning the Boris Player of the Year, the, the Mark Brindley Trophy. I'm not sure if you've heard that. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, yeah. thanks for that, lads. Um, obviously, great to have the support and a bit of recognition. So, yeah, delighted. You were... Um, well deserved. Yeah, you were, you were up against... You in the post. You were up against... Um, <laughs> Happy days. You're up against Kyle Cal McFadden, Ed McGinty, uh, and yourself. So there was three of you in the running, and um, Niall, you secured over sixty percent of the vote. So a comprehensive uh, decision by uh, the trust members. So yeah, well done. Um, I suppose maybe if you had the vote after Monday night, Ed could have got it. You know, so um, <laughs> ah yeah, luck. The, all the boys have had uh, good seasons. You know, so uh, happy to get that one. Yeah, Niall Morhan there. Um, one-year contract, I think, is not enough. That's the consensus between us, anyway, for Niall Moran. I think it's a very risky risky situation to find yourself in there because Niall is only going to get better and could very easily be poached away from us towards the end of next season unless we get that wrapped up quickly. Yeah, It could be a case of that you know, he's a young, talented footballer. He's probably keeping his options open as well, but we need to be in a position to capitalise on that. And not lose him on a free and if we are to lose him to receive some money instead. Yeah, Magoo, I mean, this next year could be, uh, particularly European football, um, he could really be put on the centre stage for other clubs. It could be, yeah. I think um, he was saying something about a, um, the club wanting to put him on a longer deal but it didn't suit him at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, if he goes, we'd be getting some sort of compensation anyway because he came up through the academy but that's neither here nor there we'd never get as much as we should be but yeah. um, I'd imagine there's it's, I would imagine the club probably wanted him on a longer day maybe there's probably <clears throat> something that we're not privy to maybe and it could be Niall himself yeah. knows, but to me the, the thing is 
I suppose once he's here and and where I can't I couldn't see him. I'd, I'd say if he does have ambitions for other places, it's it's across the water maybe or yeah rather than any, anywhere else in the league. So yeah, I guess like you know, but listening from speaking to him, we can tell he's a smart guy. Um, his studies are obviously you know what he's doing in IT Sligo is obviously important to him as well. Um, I suppose to focus on the positive we have him for another year. You want to see him either build his uh, relationship with David Cawley or, you know, let's see what else happens squad-wise uh, over the next number of months. He's, he's like, he's, I, from my perspective, he's got a huge amount, he's got a huge way to improve. There's only, he's only going to get better and it's exciting to see what the potential holds for him. So Yeah, there's a very, very high ceiling there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that's uh, Niall. Um, at least we get another, at least another year uh, to see him in the showgrounds. Hopefully we get more than that or else um, a bucket load of cash for him. Um, and um, so double whammy today, double header. We also spoke to uh, Kyle Callum McFadden, a bit of an exclusive interview um, for the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast. Um, Kyle tells us something that, um, but he confirmed something that's been rumoured, I suppose, for the last um, the last number of weeks. Um, and um, he he will be, he's going to he'll be around for the rest of the season. Um, but that's probably the end of it, as we'll hear with um, in the interview uh, with Kyle when he joined us a little earlier on. First of all, congratulations on um, finishing fourth in the league. Do you, do you see progress in the team over the last, like you've been with the team probably longer than most players at this stage now. Year on year, do you, do you, would you say that the team is making progress? I think definitely. Um, you know, there might have been one or two, you know, individual talents come through the door, but that doesn't make a team, if you ask me. Like, you know, you probably look at our squad maybe two years ago, you know, we had a few individual brilliant talents, but like you could say almost bad eggs in the change room. Um, then this year you can see everyone's pulling in the right direction. You know, there's no decades in the change room at all. Um, and it's paid off by time, you know, obviously the start of the year, Jesus, there was worrying times. We're sitting rock bottom before lockdown. So, uh, but now we came back, uh, we knew it was at stake. You know, maybe we read the article Stuart Byrne might have put online there, acting the big man, you know. Um, obviously, came back to bite him a bit. The shells aren't doing too well now, so. so uh, but uh, we'll leave that to the rest of them. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but no, everyone's pulling the right direction. You can see it's paid off. We're in fourth now, you know, more likely looking like Europe. So, no, it's uh, definitely a big step for the club, and um, I'm delighted to, to, to finish where we have. Kyle, any of the lads that have been on so far have all spoke when Connor's asked a question about, you know, being bottom of the table at the when the, the league broke up. Every player says that they could see you were in a completely false position and that you knew yourselves that you should be much higher. There seems there seems to be a great belief within the squad that you that you are the team you've shown to be and by finishing for it. That seems to be Definitely. a universal thought. Definitely, I know you're 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 spot on there, you know, and I think that comes from the manager as well and uh, the coaching staff. You know, uh, probably go back to like two years ago before Liam was in. If we had gotten that position, you know, four first four games in, no, maybe I think we scored two goals, no points on the board. You know, there would have been panic set through the whole club, the whole the whole team, and then it would have just spiraled on through the team. But uh, we knew the group of players we had in the change room. Bundles of experience. Um, you know, the break probably did come at the right time for us. Like, But, uh, you know, we believed in ourselves. Uh, we believed in the club that, that we could turn it around. And I think since the area game, we, we showed that till now. Obviously, a few little blips here and there went down to Cork and beat 3-0, which is probably never a 3-0 game. Um, and, you know, shells away as well. But look, um, like I said, keep going back to the team, the lads we have in the change room there are just top class. And uh, I think that showed now with some of our performances and some of our wins this year. Um, Kyle, one of the better decisions that uh, Dave Robertson made as manager of Rovers was to sign you. How did that come about? Um, that was a strange one, actually. I was, in, uh, I was in Orlando at the time and... I was all set to, to sign a new deal or whatever over there, you know, to stay on for another couple of years. And the missus sprung on me, oh, um, I'm pregnant. I thought, oh, oh brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we went through all, went to speak to the club and I said, like, you know, what happens if I have a baby over here and all? And they told me the price, you know, because it's all insurance. And I said, right, yeah. much as a flight back to Ireland. 
<laughs> anyway, um, not speaking, you know, the manager, my manager over there at the time was Anthony Poulos. Um, he's assistant manager now at Inter Miami, I think. Uh, he's Tony Poulos' son. So I went and spe- spoke to him and uh, he understood. Uh, he understood my decision why I wanted to leave and all. And then uh, I think Kieran Sadler heard that I was leaving. And then he told Decky McIntyre, who's assistant manager at the time, I think. And then he rang me and then Robbo rang me and, and the deal was agreed within two or three hours after me signing my release forms in Orlando. So that's how it all came about. And was the ambition to come back to Ireland or was it, were you looking more at the UK and just Rovers just sprung on you as such? So, well, when I, when I signed my release papers with Orlando, there was no other club sniffing at all. But I said to the missus, I said, look, we need to be back near family, whether it be Ireland or England. A uh, few clubs and like, in England, League Two Conference wanted me on trial, but Sligo had said, look, we'll give you a deal here now, like you sign it in your own player. So I thought, you know, with the baby on the way, it's probably good to sign the deal and get a bit of security, you know. And it was definitely the right decision to, to come back back to Ireland and, and play with Sligo. What, um, what, what are some, like, you, you've been with, with us since 2016. Um, this is going to be your last season with the club. What are your outstanding memories? Uh, what kind of sticks out in your time with the club? Um, the f- my first year there, obviously, I, I won Player of the Year, which is obviously good personal. But uh, I think we we made a it was a crap season. Obviously, we were down around the relegation zone, but I think we went to draw it and we needed a point or something to stay up and go away to lose. And I think that happened all when I when I had anyway managed to stay in the division. Then the year after that, I had a had a bad bad year myself, um, performance wise. But I think then what stands out really is obviously this year finishing fourth, potentially Europe's massive. But the semi-final when we had Dundalk at home in the showgrounds and the place was rocking, it was, it was unbelievable. And then obviously the refs panic again and give Dundalk, uh, or give us, don't give us a penalty. You know, the one Cochrane goes down, which is, you know, you can watch it back yourself. It's obviously a stonewall penalty. I'm not sure what the ref behind the net was doing, but sure. Scratch, scratching. <laughs> ah, you're right. <laughs> so the... Um... The big news, obviously, is that um, you're going back to the UK um, in the coming months. You've got a deal done over there. So who are you going to sign with or who are you signing with? I'm signing with a team called Kings Lynn. Uh, they got promoted to the National League this year, the league under uh, League Two. You know, the missus is from the area, which was a, which was a draw. Um, she's got herself a job in, uh, in the NHS in England. She, her and the kids actually moved over there to the start of September. So uh, I just thought it was maybe good to get her back across to England as well. You know, it's more it's more a family move than than a football move than anything. Um, I know the manager there. He was he was on the first team coaching staff at Norwich when I first moved over at sixteen. So he, uh, he in Culverhouse, he's he's um, in Culverhouse. Yeah. He uh, so was he at Norwich? He was in Norwich when you were there, yeah. Yeah, when I first moved over, uh, him and Paul Lambert was the first was the first team manager and assistant manager. So uh, Ian would have knew me for a few years of growing up. Obviously, I wasn't him on the first team at 16, but they probably would have seen me like at underage games and all. So that was a bit of a draw as well. But um, that's definitely definitely a family move. And like, it's nothing, nothing against Sligo as a club or anything. Probably just the right time probably to move on and, and you know, try something different. Kingsland is they're, they're quite a progressive club. Obviously, you've said they've been promoted, but um, like, they get... They get two or three thousand people at their home games don't you it's a it's a proper club yeah yeah it's, it's, it's well run now i think they've just gone um full time this year as well um they i think they got two back-to-back promotions uh probably the aim this year is probably to stay in in the national league and then you know build on from there um but uh you know so we change but like i said it's it's nothing against Lego at all. The club have treated me absolutely brilliant over the over the last four years, and I haven't got a bad word to say about them or anyone around the club. Going way back now in your career, when you started back with Norwich, uh, they seemed to have a great youth set up there. Was there anyone else involved in that youth team with you that's gone on that might be recognisable? Oh Jesus, I'm trying to think. You mean like go on to play like Premier League or Championship? Uh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the you got the two Murphy twins. One of them's a Newcastle. There's been right wing back. Oh yes, Josh. Yeah, Jacob. yeah. you got Jacob there. He's a Newcastle. Then you have Josh, who is a left winger, right winger for Cardiff. He's playing with Cardiff. And then there is a there's a left back who's playing with Huddersfield at the minute. Harry Toffolo. Oh yeah, yeah. 
So there's a few boys now, and there's a few boys bouncing around like League One, League Two. So uh, they, they, it's a good, good setup now. And um, I think probably hit one in the youth cup as well. Probably put a few boys' names on the map a wee bit and, and making people take a chance, maybe. Yeah. So uh, it's always good to see boys do well. How did it go from Norwich to Orlando? That's a bit of a mad switch. Uh, that was that was mad. Actually, that was a that was a funny enough story. I was I left uh, Norwich and uh, you know went and trailed a few places. You know, a few people saying, ah, you know, we look at you at a right back or whatever, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I'd love, love to play right back for a start. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so went to a few clubs and um, Alex Neal got the job at Norwich. He was the one who actually released me. And he said, um, look, um, I've just came from Hamilton. You can go up there, they'll sign you, whatever. Went up to Hamilton, trained for a few days. Um, everything sorted, like agreed. And then I uh, was at the airport and my, my agent rang me at the time. And he goes, oh, how'd you get on? I said, oh, I was good, like deal offered or whatever. And he goes, right, well, uh, Orlando, just been on the phone there. now." <laughs> so I rang him, I said, um, what do you reckon? Sonny Orlando or Rainey Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> so I was out, next flight to Orlando signed the contract. So that's the way that worked. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, what was it like uh, over there? Geez, it was hard and it was very, very warm. Um, I remember my first few days training. We were on AstroTurf, and uh, the fitness coach was Irish. So he pulled me aside and he said, Look, we'll, we'll probably just let you do 15, 20 minutes here to break in. <laughs> and I swear to God, my feet were in absolute pits after a wee 10 minute jog around the pitch. My boots were almost melting. Like, and um, so that, that was like an open session in front of fans. So that was like 12 or, or 1 o'clock in the day. So you're right in the heat. But then, um, but then as the season goes on, I think you train at like nine in the morning because if you train any more after that, you'd be absolutely right. And the heat, and I was, I was never looking forward to an ice bath as much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> was it a good standard over there? What you were it was, uh, it was, it was, it's got a lot better now anyway. You know, Will Seymour will tell you that himself. He played in that league. Maybe when I was over there, I think I was kind of just starting, starting to, to get a bit better. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of players are just pure athletes. Like you know, they're they're mad about the gym and they're mad about squatting and all this and that there. And you know, different from different from Norwich. Like when if you need extra work, they put you out in the pitch with a ball sort of thing and, and do your passing or whatever. But if you need extra work over there, you're on their squat machine and you're and you're flat out till your legs go numb. Like you're you're quite a physical player, Kyle. So I mean, it was is it a physical game over there in the states? Uh, no, like no, no, not when I first got there. I wasn't really well liked anyway, even by my teammates or the way I was playing. <laughs> so, uh, I was told to, I was told to maybe take a back seat a bit in training, you know. And so, uh, but it's definitely changed. Like I've watched a few games in the telly and all, and and even speaking to Will himself from when he came over, he said that the games definitely got better over there. So, so it seems to be growing anyway. You know, America's mad for their sport. They always make try and make it bigger and better anyway. So, it was only a matter of time. When you when you came into back into the league, not back into it, but when you came into the League of Ireland, was it what you expected, or was it a bit of a culture shock trying to readjust to the Irish slash UK football style? Uh, it was um, it was a lot faster than I thought coming from America because the games, you know, it's a bit slower over there. Um, took me definitely took me a few games to get used to, um, but then when I found my feet, now I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed how physical it is. I, I still enjoy it, like how physical it is, and. You know, um, you always pick your battles with certain players that you have good ones with. And, uh, you know, that's that's a good thing about the League of Ireland. You can almost, you know, maybe leave a boot down here and there and kind of get away with it. So, so who, uh, who's your biggest uh, League of Ireland nemesis? Let me see. Who do I like a battle with? Uh, I enjoy a battle with Pat Hoban, though, to be fair. Um, <laughs> he likes yeah. a whinge and a moan, so you just give him the odd bit. And uh, rolling fun as well. No mind getting that him a wee way. So, uh, <laughs> It's good, it's good. <laughs> I, I could imagine yourself and uh, Roland Coughlin having a good battle on the pitch only that you're on the same side. <laughs> I would have a few kicks in training now, but not too mad. <laughs> uh, come here, you're, you're originally uh, Remelton, is that right? I Remelton, Donny Gaw. So did you, uh, did you know do you know Tony and Barry McNamee? I know the two boys. Uh, they live in my town, actually, so I. And did you, they, uh, you were probably younger than them, were you? I'm a year, I, be, I think I'm two years younger than Tony and maybe three or four younger than Barry. You didn't play with them underage or anything like that, no? I, I would have played with Tony underage. I would have played with Tony. No, good player, Tony. Very good player. Yeah, 
yeah. So, uh, so he wasn't on trying to get you before you headed off to England, so was he? I, I heard the phone blew up a few times, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Kyle, um, we, I, think, I think it's fair to say, like, um, you know, as you said yourself, as we were speaking, we went through some kind of tough years um, just about surviving in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, that, most of your time was kind of spent scrapping around the, the bottom of the league. Um, I think it's it's fair to say that across the board, the fans are definitely going to miss you. It's, we're very sad to see you go, particularly as we progress into potentially European football. Yeah. Um, so I suppose I just want to say on behalf of the fans and on behalf of Sligo Rovers Supporters Trust, thanks for everything you've done at the club over the years. And um, hopefully we get a bit of a swan song now in, um, in the Cup against Derry. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully. And after that. Thanks, William, man. That means a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, genuinely, Kyle, I echo as well what Connor was saying there. And you definitely bought into what the club was all about. And each and every fan, I think, bought into you as a player as well. So thanks a million for all you've done for the club, pal. Really. Thanks, lads. I do appreciate it. We'll, Thank um, you very much. We'll, we'll keep an eye on um, things over in, um, in Kings Lane. And we might, uh, we might hook up with you again uh, just to see how you're getting on in a, in a couple of months. 100%. The money it takes away, anyway, just give me a shout whenever. Uh, that's uh, Kyle Callum McFadden. Um, he'd be sorely, sorely missed from the club. Like what a what a leader in those tough times when we were dogging it out at the bottom of the table uh, under Robertson and similar managers. He'd be a huge loss, won't he, Sean? Uh, massive loss. He just, as we said to him in the interview, he he bought into everything that the club was about. You know, I like the fact that he had the humility as well to admit, like his second season wasn't that great performance wise. Most players would just fob that off and not even mention it, but he, he took it all on board, you know, and he felt it himself. <laughs> and a huge amount of experience. He's been all over the place between the UK, England. Like, he got wherever he goes, when he, well, not wherever he goes, but when he goes over to uh, Kings Lynn Town, he'll, um, he'll bring in a wealth of experience, Magoo, won't he? Yeah, yeah. For And he's still only a young age, isn't he? So, yeah, 25. 25, like, he's just becoming into his prime as well, so... The experience coming into the the prime of his, his football ability too, he'd be he should serve them well. He'll get he's, a good signing there. He, and he's the kind of fellow that goes into battle for you. Like we're gonna miss that really, aren't we? Yeah, we we spoke about it many times about leaders like and he was definitely a leader. Like as we said before, the the, the two or three managers he played under and when he's played elsewhere, he's been captain for them all. So it tells you all you need to know about his character. Yeah. Um well listen, hopefully himself and David Colley are uh, in between the FAI Cup up in the Viva Stadium in a, a number of weeks' time. Um, listen, we'll wrap it up. It's been a long podcast. Um, it's been great to have Niall Morhan, Kyle Callum McFadden. Uh, this is episode nine. We'll be back with episode 10 uh, next week of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast brought to you by Milligram Coffee on Wine Street in Sligo. Um, next week, we're looking ahead to um, the quarterfinal of the Cup. So um, a lot to look forward to, to there. Uh, uh, we'll wrap it up, lads, will we? Yeah. Hello. Thanks a million, Connor. Okay, uh, Sean, thank you. Magoo, thanks uh, for your time again. <laughs> you've, been battling, you've been battling um, You've been battling the rain inside. Yeah, battling the rain inside, yeah. 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 There's, a bit, there's a bit of a leak in the hospitality suite in the showgrounds, is there? <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Right, your fee money is gone, folks. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, listen, um, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week.